Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Good morning, Movement Church. Let's try it again. Good morning. You look good. Most of you sound good singing. I can hear you. You, you guys, you, some of y'all are hitting harmony. I don't know who it was, but you're doing it very well. Well, those of you that are with us that are new, my name is Carrie. My wife and I are some of the pastors here at the Movement Church. But I want to tell you the reason that we are stoked about today is because you are here. Do me a favor. Turn to somebody next to you. Give them a fist bump. Tell them they're awesome. Say, so you're absolutely awesome. That's it right there. Do you just feel more encouraged now? If you didn't get a fist bump, then my heart is fist bumping you right now, and you're awesome. So we're excited about this series and excited about what God is doing and what's up in and, and happening at the Movement Church. In just a couple of weeks, we are celebrating our seventh anniversary. Come on, people. Super excited about that. We've got some great festivities planned after each of our services. We are also launching our third service on the 15th. Yeah. 8.30, 10 a.m. and 11.30, there'll be about a 65-minute service, so uh, it won't change much at all in your day, just a different time, so make sure you show up at either 8.30, 10 a.m. or 11.30, and here's what I want to challenge you. As we're building up to our anniversary, I want to challenge you to jump in the journey with us, and we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, that studies have actually shown that it takes seven exchanges or encounters for someone who doesn't attend church for them to actually think about or potentially visit a church. In other words, maybe they hit a crisis and they, they kind of think to pray because, man, it's been so rough and I'm not sure what to do, I'm gonna pray. Or maybe then they talk to a friend who mentions a church that they go to and then they see something in Instagram that they're scrolling through. Each one of those count as a different exchange or an encounter and, and all building up to that seventh one that's like the, the tipping of the scale where they'll go, okay, I, I gotta just check out this church thing and here's what our challenge is to you, be the seventh. I want to challenge you to be the seventh. On your way out today, you're going to get a packet that's going to have invitations just like this that say seven on it. We're kind of going with the whole theme. We're turning seven. There's something to this number seven and an exchange and encounters with people. And I want to challenge you for the people in your world to invite seven people to the anniversary service on the 15th. We've got parties after every service. It's going to be a blast. We leverage that on purpose. But look at me. I believe God planted you in your sphere of influence at your workplace, in your neighborhood, with the kids, the parents who go to school with your kids, maybe at the, the specific class you're in in Saddleback or Dana Hills High School, wherever it is that you go to school, I want to challenge you, grab some invitations and invite seven people to come to church on the 15th. If you're an introvert and you don't want to invite seven people, I'm going to ask you to invite seven people. And if you're an extrovert, invite 17 people and you'll compensate. So here's what I'm saying. Hey, Jump in the journey and, and, and be a part of this. I believe God's gonna do something awesome. And here's what we're gonna do. The seven days leading up to our anniversary, starting next Monday, we're gonna do early morning prayer at 6 a.m. at Union Market. And I wanna challenge you to come pray with us for an hour, 6 to 7 a.m. as we're believing that God's gonna do something miraculous. Seven days of prayer, seven invitations, and here's what we're believing, seven chances of potential life change. But it won't happen unless you get out there and do it. Are you tracking with me today? It's gonna to be awesome. If you need any more information about that, you can text the number seven to the, uh, no, text the number seven to the number on the screen and you get all the information that you need. Can we dive into our series today? Is that all right? 
we're starting a brand new one called Seven, crazy enough. And I'm excited about it. And here's why. Have you ever thought about what, what's happening in this room right now? Like the different dynamics of every individual person that walked in this room, all of us have had different things happen in our lives over the course of the last few weeks, months, and years. Sometimes we're so inundated and focused on our own life that we forget to realize that there are real people seated next to me. Right now in this room, there are people experiencing the greatest of times. It's been a great few months or weeks or year, and there are people in this room who are right now experiencing horrible times. There are people in this room who may have recently, very recently, gone through the loss of a loved one. There are people in this room who right now are experiencing a job promotion and a pay raise, the things that they've been praying for. And right now in this room, there are people who probably or may have lost their job. At the same time, there are people in this room, potentially, I'm not prophesying this, who may be experiencing or finding out that they're pregnant. Hopefully it's not my wife. I'm just throwing that out there. But at the same time, there may be people in this room who've desperately been praying that God would move and that they would get pregnant and they just can't. There are people who are going through times and seasons of depression and times and seasons of excitement through joy, through frustration, crisis. It's happening right now in this room, but here's what I know is that all of us in this room desperately want God to move on my behalf. We all want that. We want God, God, be close, speak to me, do something in my life right here, right now. But the problem is, for most of us, we, we don't realize that God is moving on my behalf until the moment has passed. We, we fail to see that God is actually working on my behalf until I'm down the road and I look back and I can connect the dots. But I just want to tell you right now that God is moving and working on your behalf. And I want to preach a message today that's titled, Thus and So. Everybody say, Thus and So. I'm going to pull from a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament, one of my favorite stories. And, and I think that if you and I will lean in, then God's going to do something awesome. Hey, listen to me for a minute. Our prayer is never that you just show up and are entertained here. Our prayer is that when you show up, that you have an expectation for God to do something. And here's the good news about God. He showed up today with an expectation to see you. He's like, yeah, she's here. He, he's here. This is going to be a good day. I'm leaning in. I believe that's what God is doing right now. He's leaning into you. Will you lean into him? And I think if we'll do that, God will do something miraculous in our life. Let me pray. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, I just thank you that you're already working and moving on our behalf. I pray, God, right now that you would do something miraculous. Lord, we don't want to experience the ordinary. We want to see the extraordinary take place. God, we're expecting that you're going to show up in such a way that we'll never forget today. We love you, and we're looking forward to all that you're going to do in the next few moments together. In Jesus' name I pray, and everyone said, which means I agree. Well, I'm going to dive into this Old Testament passage. It's found in the book of 2 Kings chapter 5, and if you're not familiar with the story, it's okay. A lot of people may not know this, and 
It's a story about one chief character and what God wanted to do in his life. Let's look at it. Chapter 5, verse 1. It says this. Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and high in favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but... He was a leper. That means he had leprosy. So we find out everything that we really need to know about Naaman. He was the second in command in this country of Syria. He was a man of valor, which means he was admired and he had character and integrity. He had given his king a great victory. So there was peace in the land of Syria, but he had leprosy. Leprosy was a deteriorating, life-threatening disease. So that's kind of what you need to know about Naaman. But here's what you need to know about Syria. It was a country, still is, that was, took up the majority of the northern border of Israel and a little bit of the western border. And they would go back and forth in battles. They would have marauders that would invade Israel. And then they would have marauders from Israel that would invade Syria. So they would go back and forth between wartime and peacetime. Wartimes and peacetime. And this had become the norm. When this story happens, they're in a time of peace. So let's read on about the scripture. In verse two, it says this. Now the Syrians on on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. This is a normal thing in that time. I'm not admonishing it, but the Israelites would do the same. They would come into a community raid and bring slaves back. It was just a nasty kind of way that they did things. So here, this young girl is now a slave in the home of Naaman. It says this, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. Verse three says this. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So this servant girl who happens to be in the home of Naaman goes to her mistress and says, hey, if Naaman could just be with the prophet in Israel, he could cure him. There's a prophet named Elijah, and he is a godly man and does all kinds of things. And if, she, if he could just get around Elijah, then I think he might get healed. Now, remember, leprosy is a skin-eating disease. In fact, when you would contract leprosy, it, would be, it was contracted via touch. When you would contract leprosy, instantly you were an outcast in your community. You were kicked out of your home. You were kicked out of your city, and you had to live in a leper's colony where some people would come and drop off food and leave because they could not come in contact with you. This condition would literally end up uh, deteriorating their body and the ears would fall off, noses would fall off. They would end up often dying from bleeding and they didn't even know it because they couldn't feel this. So this was a bad situation. This wasn't a flu. It wasn't a sickness that could be cured. This was a scenario that was hopeless. Have you ever been there before? There's, there, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. This is hopeless. But what I love about this story is what I love about our God. Look at me. You need to know that God is working behind the scenes in your life right now. God is working behind the scenes in your life right now. Here is Naaman. He contracts leprosy, but this young girl says, but wait a minute. I know of a man in Israel. Before you even face a crisis or a trial or a challenge, God has already planted something in your life that points towards the solution. Whether you realize this or not, before it was a, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? God knew it was coming and said, no, 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 I've got this taken care of. In the first four years of this church, we met in the movie theaters of the Kaleidoscope. We were grateful for those days, but it smelled of must in the Holy Spirit and burnt popcorn. Come on. Anybody here in those days had Shamu on the wall kind of doing this thing? We miss Shamu often. 
And we were there and we were just desperate to get out of the theater because we knew it would become a cap for us. We couldn't grow past this and we couldn't add another service because movie times were starting. Sometimes we'd get out of church and there would be like Darth Vader and stormtroopers in line to see Star Wars. That's just creepy, my friends. And if that's you, I'm praying for you, but we'll move on. And so listen, we were like, God, get us out of here. And so we called the school districts and we said, hey, are there any schools that will let us meet there? And we toured school after school. We talked to 17 different principals, and we got no after no after no, and I was done. I was fed up with it. And I said, God, wait, when are you going to get us into a school? I'm over this. I'm done trying to find something. In fact, you have the district call me, God. I just kind of gave some ultimatums to him, and that was a prayer I prayed on Tuesday. What I didn't know is the Sunday before that, was the last Sunday that a church was meeting in Serrano Intermediate. And the custodian went in to talk to the lady in the district named Debbie Carlino on Monday and said, hey, we've got an opening, can we get a church? And I get a call from Debbie Carlino on Wednesday just after I had prayed that prayer. And she goes, hey, there's a school here. Who wants a church in it? Do you want to come to it? I said, absolutely. What I didn't realize, even though I had given up, God had already planted a solution. He was working on my behalf. He's working on your behalf, even if you can't see it, even if you can't feel it. Romans 8, 28 says, for we know, I love that, we know, I stand confidently on it. That is my life first. For I know that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose, which means that no matter what crisis or scenario or diagnosis or relational rift you are facing, God is in the middle of it doing what he can on your behalf. That's the way that God works. I love Philippians 1, 6. It says, he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. And those are words that we hold on to because sometimes the crisis seems hopeless, but you got to know he's working behind the scenes in your life right now. Everybody say he's working. Come on, say it with some faith. Say he's working. In verse four, it says, so Naaman went in and told his Lord, the king, thus and so. Everyone say thus and so. He went in and he told the king, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. There's nothing about this that feels faith-filled to me. Thus and so, blah, blah, blah. That's exactly what, does anybody else feel that way right here when you read? Thus and so said this little girl. And I just wonder how many of you in this room are, are literally, God is working, but you are uh, in your life, but you are dismissing something. And I think God's trying to advance and strengthen and promote you, but you might be dismissing it as a thus and so. God's trying to promote, to advance, to strengthen you, but you're just dismissing it as a thus and so. It's not really a big deal. Maybe that's probably, I, I'm removing, I'm dismissing its ability to strengthen my life or to see God in it because I've dismissed it as just mere circumstance. I heard a joke about a Christian who went on a sailing cruise. Maybe it was a three-hour tour. I'm not positive. And, uh, old, some of you are old enough to get that one. And he gets in the shipwreck and he's stranded in the ocean and he's praying, God, you've got to save me. God, you've got to save me. And a few hours pass and a guy comes by in a rowboat. He goes, hey, let me help you out. He goes, no, 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 it's okay. I'm praying and God's going to save me. So the guy went on his way and he continued to pray for hours. God, please save me. And a, a couple days go by and a sailboat comes his way and he goes, hey, get, get in the boat. I'm going to help you. And the guy goes, no, no, I've been praying and God's going to save me. And a day passes. He's still praying, God, save me. And a helicopter shows up and he goes, hey, 
they'll drop you a ladder get the get you out of the water he goes no it's okay i've been praying god's gonna save me well the dude drowned and he goes to heaven he's like god where were you and god said well i sent you a rowboat and a sailboat and a helicopter and you said no and i just i think if god is working behind the scenes and if he works in mysterious ways it stands to reason that some things which may appear simple could be the very hand of God in your life. The very hand of God in your life. I think the problem is, is that you and I have become great at complaining about things. I think our nation is amazing at complaining. If you watch the news lately, whether you watch Fox or CNN, it all is horrible. We're headed to hell. Thank God we depend on Jesus and not any government structure. Can I get an amen from somebody today? Listen, I think we've gotten great at complaining. Well, it's been a crazy week. Oh, my gosh. It's been a crazy month. Oh, same stuff, different day, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <sighs> you know what I'm talking about? Clint, we, I think we've gotten to this place where we complain about how bad or busy or crazy our war story is, and it's become this merit badge that we wear. When we did this, had to go there, drop the kids off there, and then do this, and oh my gosh, it's just so insane. And the problem is when complaining becomes the norm and how we speak, we're in trouble because language shapes culture. So you have to ask yourself, what's the culture of your home right now? What's the culture of your home? Not too long ago, one of my daughters, I won't say her name, I don't think she's in this room, but she could be, did something and said, oh, I'm such an idiot. And I go, hey, don't say that. You're not an idiot. You might have made a mistake. You might have dropped something. Maybe you can do it better next time, but you're not an idiot. You're a warrior. You're a champion. You may not be the best you've ever been in your whole life, but you know what? You're heading that direction right now. What's the culture that is shaping your home right now? I wonder what would happen if we started thanking God for the thus and so's, big and small. I wonder what would happen if gratitude and courage and hope shaped your language. That's the kind of culture you want in your home. That's the culture you want to live in. Are you tracking with me this morning? I, I just think, man, we got to stop dismissing the thus and so's because maybe it is just the very hand of God working in your life. He's working. Listen. Don't dismiss it. Everyone say, don't dismiss it. Verse five, we read on, it says this. And the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with them 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothes. It's just a lot of money. So he went taking all this thing. And the reason he did that is because he was going to get a miracle to heal him of his leprosy. So he was taking these, these tons and tons of money as a payment for the miracle that he wanted to receive. Leprosy could not be cured, yet they planned to pay for God's miraculous provision. And I think we do that on a regular basis. I think that we naturalize the supernatural. We try to make natural what God wants to do in the supernatural. Do you know that when someone is born in a different country but would like to become a citizen of the United States, it's referred to as being a naturalized citizen. And in order to become a naturalized citizen, there are things that have to take place in your life. Number one, you have to have lived here for at least five years. Number two, you have to have good moral character, which is dictated by certain laws that if you break, you are unable to apply for citizenship. Number three, you have to align with our Constitution. 
You have to be able to read and write and speak our language, and you have to know our history. You're literally given a test on our history. In other words, to be naturalized as a citizen of the United States, you have to live like me, act like me, think like me, and speak like me, and we do that to God all the time. We're asking God to move. We're expecting him to do the miraculous, but we want it to look like we want it to look. We dumb down God all the time, trying to conform him into the mold of our time frame and our solutions. And then we freak out if and when it doesn't happen how I want it to. Do you realize that right now there are 8.7 million species of animals on the earth and just under 400,000 species of plants Scientists believe that we haven't even discovered 90% of the species of animal on the planet. And every year we're discovering 2,000 new species of plant. And yet God knows about them all. He created them all. He takes care of them. In fact, we, we read this in the scripture. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 26 and 27, it said, Consider the birds of the air. Consider the lilies of the field. They don't work, they don't toil, and yet I still take care of them. Jesus goes on to say, are you not of more value than the birds of the air and the lilies of the field? What he's saying is, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole, no, let's stop it right there. He's got the whole world in his hands, but you are the apple of his eye. You matter to him more than you could possibly imagine. And yet we stress because we're 28 and and still single and just wondering, is Mr. Right even out there? Does he even exist anymore? Or we face this financial crisis that, oh my gosh, how are we going to get past this? We're probably going to die. You're not going to die. And if you do, just hopefully you know Jesus, you're going to heaven. It's better anyways. Or like our relationship is, oh my goodness, it's so rocky, we're going to break in half and shatter into a million pieces. No, before that problem was even a problem for you, before you were knit together in your mother's womb, God had a solution for everything that you face. That's why we sing songs, I've seen you move, you've moved the mountains, and I believe you're going to do it again. He put the earth on its axis. He created cyanobacteria, blue-green algae for those of you that are laymen in here. This takes sunshine and water and carbon monoxide and creates oxygen. And this is happening right now. You don't even think about it, but God created that. He's a big God, working behind the scenes in big and small ways supernaturally. So stop trying to fit God into a box that you have created. He's working. Don't dismiss it and don't naturalize it. Verse 6 says this, And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and he said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? 
Only consider and see how he's seeking to quarrel with me. So the king of Israel freaks out thinking, oh my goodness, this king of Syria is trying to destroy me. This is a trick. It's a ploy. And he freaks out about the enemy that's there. And isn't it interesting that you and I can make our enemy bigger than our God? I don't have time to dive into that point. We'll do that in another sermon. Look at how the scripture goes on. Verse 8 says, But when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? That was an act of freaking out. That's what he did. Kind of like the Incredible Hulk, just freaked out. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. Let him come now to me that he may know there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots, and he stood at the door of Elijah's house. And verse 10 says, And Elijah sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Everyone say seven times. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry. And he went away saying, behold, I think we should all start sentences with the word behold. Tomorrow when you're at work, behold, it's so good to see you today. (laughs) He said, behold, I thought he would come, surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Why didn't he come out and talk to me face to face? He goes on and says, are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went away in rage. I just want to know, where is your pride preventing your promotion? Naaman was so frustrated. He didn't come out and talk to me. What's the deal? Where is God trying to do something in your life, but your brilliant agenda is getting in the way? Naaman hated the idea of this river. Why do I have to wash in this river? Are not the rivers of my home so much better? Why this river? And what's so interesting about this river, it was that same river which 400 years prior, millions of desperate Hebrew slaves crossed through the waters of the Jordan into their promised land and stepped into their freedom. It was this same river where 850 years later, a man dressed like a vagabond with crazy hair who would declare the way of the Lord would stand in the midst of that river and declare that God's goodness and faithfulness lasts forever and he would baptize people into the waters of the river Jordan and one day another man would walk up on the banks of the river and this man named John the Baptist who looked like a homeless crazy man would point up at this man and say behold the Lamb of God who would wash away the sins of the world. This river was so much bigger than Naaman could possibly imagine. And I just wonder where your pride might be preventing your promotion. Naaman said, I'm not dipping in that river, it's filthy. Why can't I go to my rivers? Why didn't Elisha come and see me and greet me? I deserve to be treated better. I just want you to know if you're wondering, if you're struggling with pride, will pride and entitlement go hand in hand? So if you're expecting God to do things your way, in your time frame, pride might be preventing your promotion. But listen, he's working. Don't dismiss it. Don't naturalize it. Don't prevent it. Don't prevent it. 
Verse 13 says this, but his servants came near and said to him, my father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? He, has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So Naaman has a turn of heart. And in verse 14, it says, so he went down and he dipped himself seven times into the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So Naaman shows up to the Jordan River, and he walks into the river, and he dips, and he gets out, and they dry him off, and they examine, is he clean? No, he's not. Dip again, and he goes into the river a second time, gets out, and he dries himself off. Is he clean? No, dip again, a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, and on the seventh dip, I put my hand upon your hip, and when I dip, you dip. No, that's not the message, my bad. I got confused. On the seventh, I didn't have you till right then. Good gosh, that's what I needed to start with. So on the seventh dip, Naaman, he goes into the water and he comes out and they pat down and he dries off and he says, am I clean? Am I clean? And his servant says, boss, you're not going to believe this. The, the, the skin, the, it's, it's restored and the, the scars are gone and, and, and the lesions and the places where you were bleeding, it's, it's not there anymore. You're healed. There's something about the seventh dip. There's something about that number seven. It's the number of completion. According to biblical numerology, it is a number in scripture synonymous with the blessings of God. God created the earth in six days and on the seventh day he rested and he said, it is good. Or he said, it is complete. Notice that Naaman's leprosy was washed by the waters of the Jordan. And the word of God says that our sins are washed by the blood of Jesus. And just before Jesus breathed his last breath, dying on the cross for the sins of humanity, for your darkest thoughts and days and my darkest actions and moments, before he breathed his last, he uttered the words, it is finished, which means it is complete. My grace is all you need. He defeated death. He completed restoration. There's something to this number seven. I just wonder if maybe God placed you in the life of one person and you appear to just be a thus and so. But God's been working behind the scenes to turn a thus and so into a yes and amen. Into an encounter with the only one who can heal broken hearts, redeem the seemingly unredeemable, and restore people to a place of life and hope again. I wonder if the God of the heavens and the earth, the creator of everything we see and know, literally, meticulously wove your life into the fabric of somebody that you might be annoyed with on Monday. Maybe it's that neighbor you don't want to talk to. And God has been working behind the scenes to place you in their life. You're not a thus and so. You are the avenue to life transformation. Here's what I know. He's working. Don't dismiss it. Don't naturalize it. Don't prevent it. Look at me. Be part of it. Be part of it. Look at me in the eyes for a moment. Who are you bringing with you to our anniversary services?
Who is that invitation going to go to this week? And you think, well, it's just a, my pastor's making me do this, and I'll feel guilty if I don't. And God's like, I don't care what your motive is. Just put the invitation in their hand because I've been working on them. You're part of that solution. Which means if you don't, who, who will? Don't dismiss it. You're not a thus and so. You are a part of an intricate, detailed plan for eternity. Don't dismiss it. Don't naturalize it. Be part of it. Amen? I just wonder how many of you in this room, you right here, right now, your life has been aligned and intricately woven to be in this room where it's just a little bit too hot. On this Sunday with the guy, I'm not sure why his jeans are cuffed like that. So you were thinking it. <laughs> and God did that on purpose for the moment that's about to take place. Because you need to begin a journey with Jesus. Not church membership, not a list of do's and don'ts, but just begin. And there is a moment that is a starting line. It is a beginning point. It is a statement of faith. I call it a holy moment between you and God where you say, I'm giving you everything. And I wanna give you that moment right now. Look at me, no embarrassment. We're not gonna ask you to get out of your seat. This moment can be between just you and God. But here's what I wanna challenge you. If you've never begun that journey with Jesus, let today be your day. And if you're here, look at me. And you may have had a moment like this weeks, months, years ago, but you've been running from God. Today is your day to come running back. If there's 100 steps to take towards Jesus, he's already taken 99. You just gotta take one. And it's just that moment saying, God, I give you everything. Would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Nobody looking around, nobody moving. Whether you're sitting in this room or watching in the family room, listening online, I just want to challenge you. If that's you, make this moment your own. Just right where you're seated, I'm going to pray a prayer. And in a small whisper or the quietness of your heart, just repeat after me and make it your own. Just say, dear God, I know that you love me. Now I'm the apple of your eye, but I'm not perfect. Would you forgive me? And make this statement your own. Just right where you're at, with whatever faith you can muster, say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' precious name. God, we thank you that you're up to something big. We don't want to miss the moments with you. We want to experience the fullness of it and not just have to look back to it. We thank you for all you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.